right. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to listen to the way people talk. You don't say affirmative or some shit like that. You say, no problemo. And if someone comes <laughs> uh, onto you with an attitude, you say, eat me. And if you want to shine, th shine them or shine on them, it's hasta la vista, baby. Well, I know this quote quite well, saying that we did this movie on the podcast. And this is one of my father's favorite movie quotes he would often uh, say to me as a child, hasta la vista, baby. That's the Terminator 2 greatest action movie of all time. To the Average Joe's Movie Clubcast. This is Justin. And I'm Joey. In this episode, we join Japanese dream team uh, Kurosawa and Mifune as a rookie cop looks for his stolen pistol in uh, post war Japan. And we try to get in touch with our true selves in Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman's Bing John Malkovich. And just a heads up, as always, we do discuss our full thoughts on the film, so if you've not seen a movie, just skip ahead to avoid any spoilers. And if you want to be a part of the club, movie club cast, just hit that subscribe button, leave us a comment, an email, we would love to be friends with you, and talk and chat about movies. So, my friend, good news for you, huh? Well, I was going to say, and on that note, let's do mm -hmm. this before we kind of forget about it. Again, so we did get a message and it did take us a little while to respond to it. And I want to apologize. Just I think we got it back in June. We just right? missed it. Yeah, we got it back in June. So it did take a little while. We just missed it. It was not intentional. Um, so we got this message from a Ronan Feldman. Okay. And uh, basically, um, so he is on Letterboxd as Ronan's 13. Mm -hmm. And he had a lot of nice things to say about Justin and Justin's review style and how they're very um, well-written. But he did ask, uh, Justin, did you have any tips on writing reviews and how to get a system slash give a score that feels right to you? Because he said in his case, he's not a fan of the five-star system, which Letterboxd uses. And he wants to know, do you think grades are necessary at all? And what is your favorite animated movie? Mm. Um, and that part kind of ties in is Justin did like 
a list of his he made um, where he ranked all the animated movies he has seen. It's about 775 of them. Wow. Um, so I think I've only seen like 77 of that list. Mm-hmm. So what's, what say you, Justin? <sighs> Tips on writing reviews. Well, <clears throat> when I first got onto Letterboxd, um, you know, I just kind of write a paragraph or something. I think it was either Dunkirk or Persona where like, my mind just kind of opened up and I just started, you know, just putting everything down. And so, like, I've never had, like, a movie friend in the area, um, you know, since I've been married or whatever. Um, you know, just to kind of, like, you know, a lot of folks, like, go to the movies together. They'll, like, hang out in the lobby or go to, like, Denny's or something and chat about it afterwards. And I just really never had that outlet until um, Letterboxd. And then um, just gradually, I would just write my, you know, my full thoughts on film, just so they're kind of categorized there on this awesome platform. And, um, you know, just over time, I just found different ways of doing it. Um, I remember early on, like I did reviews like There Will Be Blood, and I really went into like um, plot synopsis stuff. And I tried to get away from that just because I I used to suffer from a really bad um, OCD in terms of my writing. So I would like not only write a bunch, but I would edit a bunch and reread a bunch and it was just becoming way too time consuming. So thankfully over uh, the years, I've come up with different strategies in order to condense my thoughts. Um, You'll probably notice I have a bulletized style, which makes it really, really easy to get out a lot of thoughts about a film without having to tie them all into paragraphs or what what, what have you. I remember when I was writing my uh, Dr. Strangelove review and I just, I must have had like at least 10 quotes from that movie throughout the thing. And that's that's kind of the breakthrough uh, review I had where I was really kind of latched onto this style where I would throw out a snappy lead and do a movie quote, kind of get my true thoughts out about it, and then, you know, go from there. So um, I guess that's how I would struck that. That's kind of how my, my process came for structuring my reviews. Ratings. Um, yeah, that was a tricky thing to get a hold of at first. I'm, I'm a pretty good fan of the five-star rating. I find 10-star a little redundant because you can. it's kind of the same thing, but I, just, I, I kind of find 10-stars overwhelming. Um, when I think of five-stars, I got, like, it's a masterpiece, near masterpiece, it's excellent, it's really good, it's okay, and then I kind of get muffled under three-stars. Um, <laughs> me and Joyce had several arguments about uh, we're all trash a movie, but then I'll only rate it like three or two and a half stars because it has merits. I didn't totally hate it, but I did like to pick on it an awful lot. So I don't mind rating films. Um, I mean, I can see how that's unnecessary to some folks, but at the end of the day, when I get done with the movie, I'm like, it was okay. It was really good. Yeah, it was excellent. Oh, I freaking loved it. Oh, it was near masterpiece. And I've kind of made those terms into these different um, star levels. What say you? So as far as structuring my reviews, I pick a very different style than than you do. Now, sometimes I will get very meaty and go in depth on some stuff. Um, I think like my meatiest one is probably Rise of the Skywalker. Um, also, I did a pretty meaty one on Clerks 3 because I did get into one of the sneak peek uh, uh Theater viewings of that, I'll go into that a little bit later. Um, but most of mine are usually pretty short and to the point. Um, typically, it's more about, like, things that stood out to me in the movie. Like, um, kind of like where you if you were talking out, like you were saying, talking about uh, standing outside the movie theater or going somewhere to eat and talking about the 
movie with your friends or whatever and you're like oh shit that was cool as hell like that's kind of more my style um and sometimes i will talk about technical prowess or something um like that it just just kind of really depends on the day also it depends on if i'm on my phone or my computer if i'm on my phone it's usually a little bit shorter versus if i am able to sit down on my computer as far as the star rating um i try to keep it like two and a half being like very average and then going either up or down from there but it is a lot about how i feel like i try to keep it i try to keep it like oh i dislike this movie but you know it was technically made and well written um that might still get a four or four and a half, but I do think a big part of it is enjoying the movie. I do think that that should be part of the star rating. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is very hard to differentiate because like take something like, uh, I, I don't know, like the boondock saints, you know, it's in our part of it, you know, quote from it's in our opening theme. Like I love that movie. It's a great action movie. Um, I can quote it. I can watch it all the time. But, I mean, that's not a five-star masterpiece. Like when you're talking about it in terms of something like Casablanca or, you know, something like that. But to me, like, that is a five-star action movie that is great, and that's what I rate it, because when I, it makes me happy. It And when I finish watching it, I'm like, damn, that was a good movie. And that is, that's kind of how I go about it. And that also leaves me, I think, a lot of leeway. I could watch it again, and maybe, maybe I'm in a different place in my life, or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in a different mood or something. And I'm like, oh, you know, it didn't do the same thing for me, and I can just kind of scale it up and down. It really just depends and i think uh, the main thing here is everybody will probably tell you something different so whether it's justin or myself or some other people on you know rotten tomatoes or within letterboxd or what have you they'll all tell you something different and you just kind of have to play around with it till you get what works for you mm-hmm. yeah no right or wrong way to do it it's however it fits best in your brain because I, I don't think you should overthink ratings by any means it should become what's natural i mean sometimes you're going to tussle over something um like i, I think i struggled when i was rating the room because i knew I, it was going to be like one and a half stars but uh, the movie's so much fun at the same time where i did kind of pump it up and i think i gave it a heart in the in in the overall review because it has that enjoyment factor despite being pretty terrible I mean, yeah, and I, I, I run across, uh, I run across that, you know, especially doing schlock talk where, you know, like I watch one of these movies and I was like, man, it's really bad. Like it might be really good movie, but you know, it's actually kind of bad, but you still like it. And so, you, you know, it's, you know, technically this movie is garbage, but I'll give it so many stars because I liked it kind of thing. And I did see the room and the room is God awful, but it is hilarious and memorably awful, you know, with the quotes and that kind of stuff so unlike something like beast of yucca flats or alone in the dark where it's just unwatchably bad this you know at least the room has um you know you can sit around and kind of especially if you're watching it with friends and kind of do your own masterpiece 3000 kind of vibe to it so Mm -hmm. i mean at least that one has some merit all right i have pulled up uh ronin's um list here and so are, are these in ranked order? Let's see. For years, animation has been one of my, the most creative genres in film, both story and visuals. In all very ages, uh, it, it can all vary between ages and styles in the celebration of animation. Okay, so I'm not sure if these are in order. the top of it says... Oh, yeah, yeah, it does says one. It okay. says animated movies I saw rank. Okay, so, so it does have some ranking to it. I would say that in a ranked order. Um, but yeah, when you get that, I mean, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can definitely tell he's into, um, 
uh, Miyazaki. That's that's the name. Uh, yeah, with Totoro being there at the top and Grave of the Fireflies, you know, leaves most people as a sobbing mess. So you can see he likes the Japanese emotional stuff for sure. Soul's a good movie. Spider Man. Yeah, solid top ten. Um, I'm gonna scan down see some of the. I think some of the lower ranked stuff kind of surprised me at times. Um, ooh, good to see a uh, Secret of Nim in the top thirty. Uh, Ratatouille should be a little higher, I think. Um, I mean, I'm I see Princess Mononoke down here at ninety five. I feel like that should be a lot higher, just personally. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. But it's just me. Um, and like, I mean, there's plenty of them. I've seen Wreck-It Ralph. That's a good one. That's one of my favorites. I don't see, and maybe I'm just like, like Aladdin, like Aladdin should be, you know, I don't know, like the top, I don't know, five, but different, probably different time I do period. see Aladdin here that's, on the first that's page, so. Your... Yeah, scan to the it's end. like the 40s, but it should be in like the top five. Let me scan to the very bottom of his list. I but, recall you know, seeing that's, some. That's the one thing. That's the good thing about rankings is that, you know, you have fun with them and mm -hmm. everybody can like, like some different stuff. Oh, there's some family guy in here. Some family guy, Star Wars. Okay. This around. last page is pretty much what you would, ex what you would expect with like the direct to Disney sequels. Oh my gosh. He has all the Bratz movies in here. I can't believe you've watched all those. Uh, I haven't. Are you one an Evangelion fan? I, I hear so much about this thing, but um, I don't even know where to start with getting into that. I've never really watched a ton of Evangelion. Um, I think I watched some of it, honestly, back in like high school okay. with Troy, and uh, just I'm not a huge anime person, so it's just. Um, yeah, just not my thing. Um, I probably would rewatch it. I mean, like, there's some anime I like. Like, I started watching Samurai Champloo, and I really need to finish that. And what I liked of it, I saw. Um, it just, you know, just kind of depends. Yeah, this is a great list. I definitely uh, recommend checking it out. Uh, we'll definitely tag it in the comments for uh, the YouTube episode. And, uh, yeah, uh, follow Ronin and uh, check out this list. And, uh, yeah, you can probably pluck some uh, animated um, shows out of here that you want to catch up with. Yeah, I think Five Will Goes West at 651 is about accurate. Oh, but how is that ranked over Oliver and Company? That's 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 a crime. It's hard to rank. I can't imagine ranking 700 films. That's that that's crazy. But, right? Uh, that's more crazy. power to like, you. Uh, like, you know, there's so many people that are like, oh, my top 100 movies, and I made one at one time, and I'm like, I don't even know if this is right. Like, getting yeah. outside of maybe the top five to ten, it just gets so muddled down, and I feel mm -hmm. like it. Um, it's just, it's just a lot. Awesome. Well, so, thank you so much, Ronan, for, um, you know, following, uh, us on Letterboxd and hopefully the show and, uh, hope to hear from you more. So, um, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get into what's new in the zoo. So, uh, I know Joey, you have some big news for me. For the audience. I have some big news for you. Are we talking about my new job? I think so. Yeah. Oh, well, yes, we are. That is pretty big news. Uh, I know we talked about it on the last episode that my buddy uh, Christian uh, opened up a new 
a retro game store here in my hometown that I run. It's called New Game Plus Florence. We do have a Facebook page. So if you are in the South Carolina area or in maybe uh, North Carolina, we are in the northeast corner of South Carolina, like not super far from North Carolina. And you are looking for some retro games. And I do mean retro anything, Atari, NES, um, Lynx, SNES. I mean, we, you name it, we've got it or had it. Um, we just opened up this past Saturday. Uh, which would have been the, I don't know, the 24th, I believe. How far is the store um, from Bucky's? From Bucky's. So Bucky's is like the first Florence exit coming down 95 South. The closest exit to us would probably either be the Florence Darlington exit or the uh, Magnolia Mall exit, the uh, I-20 Spur. So. Okay. So just putting this into it, context to like our, United States audience. So like you're going down 95, you're heading to Florida or whatever. You see all these it's south like of the border minutes, signs. 15 minutes. Oh, also um, don't stop at south of border. That's a, that's a fucking waste of your time. Oh, is it even open anymore? Every time I've gone past it, it looks so run down. And I mean, by the way, this is like a Mexican style resort on the, on the South Carolina side of the North Carolina border, which is advertised to all hell, but it's it's i don't was it what was can you um uh what was its its high point probably before we were alive i mean oh, wow. i remember it being there when i was a kid like i mean i remember people talking about it, it used to be this big deal and it used to bring like a lot of jobs and tourists into that area mm -hmm. i think kind of back in the day it was that you're you're traveling trying to get to myrtle beach um because that you know it's only maybe 20 25 minutes from that exit with Bucky's, and that is the Myrtle Beach exit mm -hmm. um, off of 95. So, but yeah, no, from, from Bucky's, it is not very far. It's 10, 15 minutes at that. I mean, we're not right off the interstate. You do have to go in a little ways. I mean, honestly, coming from like, say, Myrtle Beach, you're just going to turn up what, 301 or whatever until it turns into 76, and then you're going to ride 76 until it until you're there um mm -hmm. and in our little plaza that we're in we have uh heroes hideout as well which is the local card shop slash ramen shop who we're partnered up with and uh in the plaza next to ours is galactic comics um which is the biggest comic book store in the east coast it oh. is freaking huge it is in that. an old uh it well it just became that so basically what happened was the the, the store that i'm in now used to be galactic they moved two doors down. Heroes Hideout went into where they were. They moved into the plaza next to us because Salvation Army moved out. And then Heroes moved into their old spot, and we have that original spot. Um, so you basically, it's kind of like this little nerd plaza. You can come in and do your comic books <laughs> and figures over at Galactic. You can come to us and get your retro video games. I mean, we've also got the decor. We've got neon lights. We've got the geometric shapes. We've got like 90s Taco Bell colors. We've got <laughs> an old floor model CRT um, with like a lava lamp, a whole like little living room set up. Um, like today I played um, Rugrats on it all day. Yesterday I played Ninja Turtles. The day before I played Guts. Is that Front NES? TV. Or SNES? No, no, no. The Nickelodeon. Like Nickelodeon Guts. Like I was playing like TV, like TV's running, TV shows running on it. Oh, and you're then, watching shows. Oh, I thought you were playing the video yeah, games so for that's those. <laughs> no, we do have um, 
like a little setup and there's a snes um but it's not hooked up to it it's just there for show mm-hmm. um and then like we have like on the front tv i always usually put some uh twitch vod on youtube of like a classic game streaming like a link to the past or like today was chrono trigger and then the back tv I usually play some sort of music, like video game music. So like, I've been playing like the GTA radio stations. The other day I played like the top 50 uh, video game songs of all time. So it's all kind of just, you know, that kind of 90s vibe um, going on. You come in, hang out, and then, you know, you get hungry. You can go a couple more da- doors down and go check out Heroes Hideout. Go get you some ramen or some chicken wings, um, noodle bowls. They actually just started doing drinks and they're all kind of nerd themed but then you can get your magic on or your Yu-Gi-Oh, your flesh and blood this is whole little nerd little center um and it's, it's all pretty awesome yeah yeah bucky's is a that locate that's a brand new location there on the north south Carolina border definitely recommend checking that out and then yeah go say hi to joey there at uh at retro games yeah speaking of that that uh that bucky's it's it's like the biggest one in the the, it's is one of the biggest ones on the east coast i feel like i remember someone saying and obviously it's very new um so yeah it's people especially it opened it opened on my birthday back in may and people like it was a i thought it was silly that it was such a huge deal but i've seen like tiktoks like famous tiktok people traveling to florence to come see it it is ginormous. Like so, I went to Bucky's in Florida and was like, "Oh yeah, this is a ginormous gas station." But whenever we stopped there, the new one, it was like a Friday afternoon, I think, and it was slammed. And they actually had really, really good food and every snack imaginable. So it's 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 the ideal. Yeah, I've only been in there the one time, and I went in. It was like Saturday night, and we went in at like twelve thirty, one o'clock after we finished playing cards at Heroes. And I spent like $50 in there because I bought like a burrito for the next day and like a brisket sandwich and a barbecue sandwich and jerky and cookies and everything. Like I literally, though the cashier probably thought I was stoned out of my gourd. <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Any, anything else you want to highlight? Um... Just if you're into retro games, come check out uh, New Game Plus. It is um, I I'm so excited about it. Like just getting to go to waking up and go to work and not hating my life and not hating my job um, is great. And I mean, it's just me and Christian and his sister. Uh, the three of us put in just so much time and effort. You know, getting it cleaned up and getting the decor. And like running around, like getting you know to Goodwill and Mission Mart and stuff, and finding stuff for the store. And it's just if you're in your 30s or late 30s, like Justin and I, or maybe even your early 30s or a little bit older, you're definitely gonna get that nostalgia vibe. You're gonna enjoy it. Um, and just you know, so many people have just walked in and been like, oh, this is my childhood, or you know, what have you. Um, so just if you're in the area or if you decide to travel through, come on through. We can talk about video games. You want to talk about movies. We can talk about movies. Um, you know, it, it'll be, it's, it's just a good time. Like I, I actually, like, I don't even mind that we're start we're recording this, um, this late. Cause now mm-hmm. I don't have to be at work at nine 30 in the morning. And the even so like 10? We open at 11, and I mean, oh. I, I today I was there at 10 just because we've been so 
overwhelmed with trades. We did not think it was going to be this big to start with. Like we did a lot of business the first day because it was the grand opening. But Mm -hmm. these first three days of this week, we have been just inundated with trades. And because because of the capital set up to do that. I mean, yeah, we've got. um, Or do you you trade for store credit or do you hand out cash? Store credit and cash. Cash is a little bit less. I mean, we work very similar to GameStop in that regard. Um, I mean, we try to beat their prices on the stuff we both carry, but we are definitely way more retro. That's our main thing. Like, we don't have PS5 or Series X now. If someone wants to bring us one, then by all means. But, um, I mean, we've got some money, uh, you know, different things like that. But, like, today we did $900 in trades. Most of it was in store credit. But, it, you know, we got to the end of the day. We hadn't done a lot of actual making money, like sales. And so... You know, we had to tell somebody like, hey, you want cash for that? You probably need to come back tomorrow. Like just because we don't want to, we're trying not mm-hmm. to give out too much more cash than we take in. But we try to be competitive on the prices um, and we, we tend to generally will take things, you know, like in a condition that maybe GameStop wouldn't. You just just don't get super much for it. But it, like I said, I just enjoy getting to go in like we spent so much time getting that store ready like i was just doing it on my personal time not even getting paid because you know the the owner is a very good friend of mine um and you know it was if we want to get this ready and open on time and i wanted to get out of that miserable job at the bank mm-hmm. it needed to happen so um yeah. well um i so wish yeah. the best for you i mean that i mean you can actually probably say you know you're living the dream and not have to be sarcastic about it and i just i just pray it's sustainable for you because um you know, I'd be you know nervous I mean, about getting into a brick and mortar setup like that. But uh, I mean, it sounds like you guys are hitting a sweet spot there in town. I mean, yeah. I mean, we were both very nervous about it, but like the opening day, we made enough money to like run the pl- just that one day was to pay all the bills, pay my salary, and have money left over for like two months. Sweet. That's so a, I mean, that's a great way to start. And that's a great start. And obviously, I mean, there's still gonna have to be. Um, you know, we have to be, you know, we can't like rest on our laurels kind of thing or be lazy, but it's just been, um, mm-hmm. we've been getting so many trades and there's been so many people that have been excited for it. Um, and so just I, anybody who's listening that's been in or is thinking about coming in, thank you. I thank you, Christian. Thanks you, Caitlin. Thanks you. We all thank you so very, very much. And um, please keep coming in and supporting us and supporting uh, supporting our sister businesses um, that are beside us. They're a little bit more, they're more established and well within the community um, than we are. And they are well known throughout the state. Um, but, you know, we're hoping to get to that point too. Um, we did the power con here in Florence. We're going to do it in the spring for the spring one. And we're going to try to start going to some of the other cons and like selling and stuff and getting our name out there in South Carolina, North Carolina. What, what do you so, think is going to be, have, have you guys established like an online presence yet? Are you guys going to like trade through like your own kind of portal or are you going to like maybe go through eBay or? Um, I don't think we'll do eBay. I mean, we might try to set up our own website or something like that and do it that way. Uh, I mean, we might run eBay eventually or something, but right now we're just trying to keep the focus in store, yeah. um, getting people in the store to trade. I mean, eventually, you know, we might get something that, you know, is it's super cool and collectible, but there's only, you know, it's only collectible to a certain amount of people. We may not be able to move it 
in Florence, but that's typically what the cons and stuff are for because people will be like, okay. Oh my God, I've never seen that. Or, you know, and, and they're willing to pay. I mean, like, just like I, I rolled into that con and, you know, I was a vendor. So we were there before we opened and we were walking around talking to the other vendors and I mean, I had a replica kill bill sword. I mean, I literally pulled the trigger without a second thought and that's kind of how the con mentality works. So how much does that set you back? Uh, it was only $50. It was normally oh. like 80. I mean, it's just a replica. It's not like it's a real sword or anything, but oh, okay. I mean, but it's still, like, I mean, it's Bill's, it is a katana. Yeah. It's Bill's sword. I wish it was Beatrix's sword, but you know, nice. All right. So, um, yeah, we got this, uh, hurricane about to hit Florida. So people are going a little nutty about that. Um, I mean, rightfully so if you're down in, you know, down there in um, the Sunshine State. But, yeah, hopefully it'll die down before it gets up here. But um, here in Charleston, I guess there's this tradition of where in West Ashley in Charleston, there's this sign for the Coburg cow. And it's, it says Coburg, and then there's a statue of a cow. And apparently every time there's going to be a hurricane barreling up the East Coast, they take down that cow, and that is official sign to, you know, Stock up on that water, fuel get get fueled up, grab a generator, and hunker down because we might get one of those hurricanes. Which we really haven't gotten a direct hit here in Char in Charleston since '89 when Hugo hit. But um, yeah, you never know. But yeah, I just feel like hurricane season gets taken so much more seriously now. Ever since Katrina, like even tropical storms, like they used to be no big deal, and then now it's like. Oh, we gotta you know shut down the school because of a tropical storm. Well, did, y'all didn't. What was the one? It was. It was like in 2016, and it kind of fucked up the whole state. Because I remember I was down in Beaufort, and it it was messed up here. Florence got wrecked. I mean, because I remember, you know, I was down in Beaufort, so me and me and the girlfriend, or the then girlfriend, like retreated to my parents' house in Bishopville. And I can't remember the name of it. I remember it. I, did. Remember I don't remember the name like, of the storm. I'd have to look it up. I remember it swept through the area with some really high winds. We, had, um, I was at my in-laws at the time, and they lost a tree, and my youngest son had to be uh, was uh, his uh, C-section date got moved up because of the storm or whatever. They wanted you know all the deliveries done before you know the storm came in. So um, yeah, I definitely remember that period of history. Uh, just a couple um, years ago. And yeah, I think maybe like the news and the schools take them a little bit seriously, but definitely most of the people in our area, like the memes, you know, all the memes, are like it's a hurricane, a tropical storm, and we're just out doing our normal thing, but then you know, like an inch of snow and we freak out and the whole state shuts down. So, I mean, I think that's pretty accurate. I'm going to be real. Like I didn't even really realize that we had a hurricane coming or, you know, I guess it'll probably be a tea storm by it hits, the time it hits us. I'm just like, People are like, oh, you're like I went and bought water yesterday, just my normal water for the house. And they're like, y'all stocking up for the hurricane? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? But <laughs> again, I've been so, so entrenched in, you know, getting the store open, getting the store running, that I just really haven't paid that much attention to anything else. And let's see where it's the fall grind. So, but yeah, it'll, it'll probably be a wet weekend here, but, um, yeah, definitely in the grind with school back in session, kids doing um, fall ball, which is pretty fun, doing karate, so very busy with the school year. Um, yeah, all's well, but I guess my favorite news is the fact that I discovered on Letterboxd yesterday 
that you can go and hit those three little Late buttons. Late to the party. <laughs> I normally am. But you didn't share the news. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah I you hit these three little buttons. You hit change poster. And for most movies on Letterboxd, you get a, a handful of different options for posters. So some of those shittier mover posters can be swapped out for something a whole lot cooler. So that is my new favorite time so, waster. So I actually got like a notification on the app about it. And I thought since you and I, because it said it was for patrons and, you know, me and you are both patrons. Oh, it's only when for patron, patron status. I'm pretty sure it was patron. Maybe it's pro and up, but I could have swore it said for patrons. But oh. I thought that it was the movie background posters for like when you do a list or, you know, your favorite movies on your wall. I thought it was for those posters. And I was so fucking hyped. Like, I'm still hyped about that, but I was so hyped for that. Oh, my God. So. I was the only my only discontent was so like for this podcast I put like my favorite movie is John Malkovich all the way across and I wanted to have each one of them be different John Malkovich posters can't do that <laughs> it's one and done but still it's 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 great to have that option that would have been cool um so speaking of my new store or my new job I guess is more apropos uh, I've had a guy come in two days ago now so yeah i guess monday maybe it was yesterday it was monday yeah it was monday he uh we started talking and talking about different kind of collecting and that kind of stuff and it came up that you know that i had a pretty pretty good sized physical movie collection mm-hmm. and he's like oh my god he was like I, I he's like i got like three or these like two and a half three bins of movies he's like i've already went through and you know all the ones i want to keep are in there and he's like i could sell them to like a pawn shop or at the flea market but i want to make sure they're going to go to somebody who's going to like take care of them and blah 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 so long story short he comes it comes back later and brings me all of these dvds and blu-rays mostly dvds um and so yeah i i thought about doing like another unboxing like i did for the um second and charles but i was just like i didn't really have the time or the energy to do so but um i ended up getting about about seven or eight blu-rays uh three or four box sets of like tv shows and probably like 10 or 15 dvds i ended up keeping out of the rest of them and then the rest of them were either things i had or things i wasn't super interested in um but that was just a really cool interaction you know i traded him I had brought some of my personal strategy guides, uh, strategy strategy guide collection. And if anybody is a GameStop or former GameStop employee knows, uh, you have we typically all have huge strat guide collections because they penny out. Um, so I traded him like three of my personal collection strategy guides for like three boxes of movies. Um, so that was just a really cool interaction, um, that I, that I got to have, um, and, you know, got to be able to do inside of business that was, you know, it's not run by a big corporation or anything like that. Cause they, you know, it would have been like, no, you can't do that in here, blah, blah, blah. So I just, that's the only other really new thing that's going on. And this is like all, you know, f- focused around new game plus. So awesome. All right, let's get to more of the movie chat of this movie podcast with the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, what you got? I only got two because I have not been watching movies. Oh, 
Two. I've watched like four movies this month, and two of them were for this podcast. So I've got uh, nostalgia slash I was not emotionally ready and B movie schlocky goodness. And I have damn I'm sappy, horseshit, seriously, and still so 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 good. But I hate this word problematic. Mm. So okay, I guess I should pick. I should pick one for you since you have more. Um, horseshit, seriously. Oh Jesus! I watched this uh, live action Pinocchio thing on on the Disney Plus, and um, it's been a long time. I don't think I've ever given up on a movie like I did on this. This was awful. Um, about quarter way in, I started cleaning like the room while it was going. So I minute I might have missed things here or there, but there is literally a scene where Pinocchio goes up to a pile of horse shit in the road and stares at it, and that is in the movie. Um, Tom Hanks as Geppetto's nice. Um, they have a black fairy who um, you know shows up the one time. It's just. For being an extra, like, 45 minutes, there is no, like, cohesion between the scenes. They just happen. And, like, the animated movie has, the like, the different segues to where, okay, they're going to go to Preser Island. Oh, he's going to go to Stramboli. Oh, they're going to go get the whale. But it's just set up so awkward here. Jiminy Cricket's barely in the movie. It's a piece of shit. Um, it, it's, it's, it's awful. I just, you can just go down a whole list of everything that's wrong with this movie and it's just a complete disaster so please stay away from the live action Pinocchio like you really needed to be told that from some Disney. of the live action stuff that's Disney in. they're fucking so you're watching the movie and you hear like when you wish about a star and it's just done in the most ugh, manipulative way possible oh, it's just ugh, it just makes me angry all right, which one of my two would you like, sir? Um, I'll just say B movie schlockiness, even though that's not the real answer. But let's just start there. All right, so this is a B movie schlocky goodness. This is actually um already on our channel. This is a uh, was an that's improv an category because there's no such thing as schlocky goodness. Ah, but there is. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was an impromptu episode of Schlock Talk where I was finally able to get back to do that, and it made me very happy. I'm just yeah. been having a lot of scheduling issues, or I had a whole episode that disappeared. I should have had another episode after Trailer Park Shark before this movie, but it just the audio. Uh, I had no audio, so it was like half a conversation. <laughs> um, but this was uh, Streets of Vengeance. Uh, my friend, mine and Carl's friend Jenna came over and we just kind of, she was like, instead of continuing to watch Shaw, she's like, let's watch, she's like, let's do an episode of Schlock Talk. And I was like, all right. And we just kind of scrolled through some stuff we had saved on Amazon watch list and came across this movie called Streets of Vengeance. So it's made in the 20 teens, like 2015, 2016, something like that. Um, and but it feels like it 2016 and it feels like an 80s movie like it just has a whole 80s vibe and essentially it is all about i don't want to say girl power but it's like girl power fighting against like misogynist and you know basically the girl 
a girl is an attack. She's she's a porn star. She gets attacked. Um, she does not get raped. That was actually uh, one of the things I noticed is there was no none of the girls that were attacked were like sexually assaulted. Now they were murdered. It was just murdered, but there was no oh we're going to get revenge because I was raped. It was because you know they're attacking and murdering us. And it I mean it's bad. Don't get me wrong, but it's just there's like a fake version of closer in this in in there and it's just like oh this is what you get when you order closer from wish um and uh but it's 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 fun it's a good time it's just uh i mean obviously it's just not gonna win any awards and like i said it was on amazon i recommend it and i recommend going to our youtube channel and checking out mine and jenna's conversation about it awesome wicked awesome what would you like to talk about next? Oh, a million dollars. Um, let's go. I've got one. I, since I saw this uh, while you were typing, I got to uh, leave, leave this, this other one for last. So um, let's go with still so, so good. Oh. All right. So um, I rewatched Annie Hall. Uh, it's part of the best... Because I've seen all the best pictures now. I just have to uh, retroactively, like watch and review the ones like I saw back in back in the day. So yeah, watched Annie Hall and oh, I love this movie. Um, even though obviously Woody Allen's a very problematic individual with, um, you know, his uh, criminal uh, record um, or what have you. So I don't want to really get into that, but gosh, I, this was the first Woody Allen movie I saw. His, his quirky brand of like sarcastic, like um, just, just blah, 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 about everything, like just jabber talk about all his thoughts about this and that. And um, there's a whole section where they're like going to see a movie. They're going to see a Bergman movie. And the guy behind him starts talking about Fellini. And, you know, I'm a dork movie, uh, movie nerd, uh, um, you know, bliss over those kind of conversations. But, yeah, it's a really good movie. I mean, Diane Keaton is just adorable. She really, you know, plays a really good, um, you know, love um, interest for him. And the, the story's told a bit out of chronological order to where, like, throughout it, like, they're bouncing back to his previous relationships. And it's, uh, there's a lot of good, um, like, nature of relationships and, you know, why we get the, get in them and how absurd they are. And it's just, it's just a really, really uh, special movie, um, despite, you know, the issues with the filmmaker there. But uh, Annie Hall, still, still so, so good and awesome that it won Best Picture. That's one I have never seen before. Actually, I've seen some of his more recent things. I guess stuff from like the '90s, but or 2000s, because he did a couple of movies with ScarJo that I've seen. But um, yeah, that, those, that those definitely have a different still... flavor compared to Annie Hall and like Manhattan. So hopefully, you'll get to some of his earlier stuff and see where his roots are. I still need to watch more of it. I know some of his really, really early stuff is. I think he has a movie like called Bananas and. I think he was in the uh, Casino Royale uh, parody movie, and so um, yeah. Interesting how he was—he went from stand-up comic into like art filmmaking and so forth. All right, so what that is pretty not interesting. Nostalgically, emotionally ready for. Oh well, I mean the, it, that was Clerks Three. Oh. Right. Um, so yeah, so tons of nostalgia. Um, I was apprehensive going into this movie having coming off of Jane Silent Bob Strike Back reboot. Mm -hmm. 
I love meta movies. I think anybody who knows me and has ever talked to me about movies or listened to this podcast, I mean, how much I love Tarantino, how much I love Scream, um, Deadpool, that kind of anything that is meta, breaks the fourth wall, kind of winks at you a little bit, I'm about. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Except for Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back reboot, because goddamn, that was the whole movie. And it was just, mm -hmm. the whole movie was like, hey, we're looking at the camera. Hey, we're referencing every other movie in the VSQ universe but not in like a subtle way. It was just, I don't know, it was just too much and it just wasn't super great. So I was very apprehensive about Clerks 3, especially with how much I like, like Clerks 2. Um, I mean, I love Clerks 1. I think just, I just hot take, I think Clerks 2 is better. Um, but anywho, so I got in, there was only two showings in, in Florence, one on a Tuesday, one on a Thursday, um, both at seven o'clock. So I got in on the Tuesday showing First thing that was really cool about it was there were no ads. Like there were ads for Regal, but you know, normally after those ads, you get your, your you get your trailers or whatever. No trailers, just an intro from Kevin Smith straight into the movie. Um, and so it's all the characters you know. It's Randall, it's Dante, um, Elias from Clerks 2 is in there. And you know, you obviously got Jay and Silent Bob. And so, you know, you're waiting around, you're waiting like, all right, where's Becky? and they hit you real which is real quick this is uh, if you have not seen this movie as i suspect many have not and you do not want any spoilers this is now the time to turn back i will try to not kill too much of it for you justin um but you were talking like five minutes into this movie they they let you know that becky has died so that's rosario dawson done so right off the cut all right this has a much more serious feel to this movie um, and then the whole premise is that Randall has a heart attack, lives, and decides he wants to make a movie documenting his life, which is basically all the shit that happened in Clerks 1 and Clerks 2, except through Randall's perspective. And, you know, it's essentially it's supposed to be paralleling Kevin Smith where he had a heart attack and shouldn't have lived and did. Um, and so they kind of go through this whole reminiscing um and you know all their new trials and tribulations and i'm not going to spoil the end um i'll save that but it um this was probably the most mature kevin smith movie maybe outside of like something like red state um or maybe jersey girl which i have not seen but um this is the only one i haven't seen and i need to but you definitely these are the characters he's had for 30 years. These are the ones that, you know, made him. These are the ones he cares about. These are the ones he loved. He put a lot of time and effort into it. And yes, there's dick and fart jokes and there's weed jokes because, well, it's Kevin Smith. Mm -hmm. the, the fuck do you expect? But <laughs> he put a lot of time and effort into it. And the ending was not at all, not at all what I was prepared for emotionally. And I think that when it hits VOD, I think next month and Blu-ray in November or December, that everyone who is a Clerks fan or just a movies fan should, and that's movies, not movies. We're not talking about Golden Cats here. Um, should go and check it out. And at the theater, at the end, you actually get part of the documentary about making Clerks. Um, so that was also a lot of fun. So that was my nostalgia slash wasn't emotionally ready all right so my last one is damn i'm sappy so um there are two best picture winners out there whenever you're going through the list of best pictures you see you come across these two tiles and be like 
Well, those, yeah, those sound like about the blandest, sappiest things you could watch. And that would be um, Ordinary People in Terms of Endearment, both 80s films. So I revisited Terms of Endearment. I'd seen it the one time. I remember being okay. I mean, Jack Nicholson's in it and he's acting like a crazy guy. So that's fun. Oh my gosh, I was just so, so captivated by how true to life this felt between this relationship between Deborah Winger and Shirley MacLaine as this um, mother, uh, daughter, um, you know, going through these like trials and tribulations of life of like her marrying the guy that uh, her mother doesn't approve of and, you know, him being unfaithful and it not really showing the cards on that right away and then Shirley kind of having to let down her um, her guard to you know, fall for this new guy. It's just, for being a, a, this drama, it just felt so genuine and like so, there's so many reminders that reminded me of si certain situations in my life. It, I was just, oh, oh, I, the one that hit me the hardest was there's this scene where um, the, the, the mother is uh, kind of flirting with this guy that's given her some attention. She's being sweet and, um, you know, they're just socializing. And her son's, like, kind of calling her out on it and being like, Mom, come on, Mom, come on, and, like, all up in her face about it. And she just snaps at him and says, like, back away, give me space. And, like, oh, it just took me back to so many moments where I just totally lost it with my kids. And, like, oh, to, to have that just sudden burst of like emotion over like oh i just need my space it was just oh man it hit me in my core and definitely recommend people checking out this 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 one this is a this is one not to be slept on in terms of endearment stands holds up that is one that i definitely need to check out i have not seen near the amount of uh best picture winners as you like i've hardly seen any comparatively so and it just the list of the things to watch is so crazy long so mm -hmm. all right well let's get into these feature movies uh the night is not getting any earlier so straight off oh uh, um, no yeah we just spent like an hour so, yeah <laughs> let's go let's get it Let's do it. Okay, so Straight Odd, this is your pick. It is from our good friend uh, Akira Kurosawa from 1949. It is a film noir crime drama starring um, you know, some of his iconic um, actors there, uh, Toshiro Mifune and um, Takisha Shimura. Takisha Shimura. I've heard these names enough, I should start being able to say them correctly. It is also considered a detective movie among the earliest in Japanese uh, genre uh, that explores the mood of Japan during its painful post-war recovery. The film also considered a precursor to the contemporary police procedural and body cop film, eh, kind of, uh, based on the premise of pairing two cops with different personalities and motivations together on a difficult case. All right. So, so Kurosawa. This is my, the, hmm? Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm talking about it being a buddy cop film. Like I get it. Like, okay, there's two cops, but like, you know, I think a buddy cop film is like, I mean, what our age or anything, what rush hour, or maybe mm -hmm. like lethal weapon or something like that. This is definitely not that. It definitely has a much more, serious tone at least um, not till the midpoint it kind of gets into that in the middle towards the end but um definitely not to start off with right, um so, so yeah um, no, this how do you want to start um, 
I mean, honestly, like, so I love, I, I love like every Kurosawa movie. Mm-hmm. This one was very slow and he does have some mm-hmm. movies that are very slow, but this one is very slow. Um, the main thing I really remember is that, you know, they talk about how hot it is. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking something along the lines when we did key Largo, oh, yeah. um, is, you know, these guys are in these full suits and it's in the summer and it's hot. And I'm just like, how, how are in these, the, why, first of all, why is it like required that they're in these full fucking suits? They're like going to melt to death and die. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then like, and they're like white suits. It's like, they're not even white after like one day anymore. It's going to be so stained up. I'm going to be real. Mm-hmm. Like as slow as this movie was paced, like I lost, um, I had a hard time paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I tried to go back and watch some parts and stuff, but yeah, just this, this one was like a slow burn. And I, I, I do think because I watched it on Tubi and had ads. And so I probably had an extra 20 or 30 minutes in my watch time because of the ads. Um, it just, it felt so long and I was so done by the time I got to the end of it. Yep, agree that it's over long. Let's get into these notes. So, um, I love I love the Kurosawa openings where we get um, you know the studio and then we get those big uh, Japanese characters. And this one we get the titular stray dog, you know, panting or whatever. And um, I guess that is to to allude to like what people are capable of being pushed into during desperate times. Yeah, the the context of this move, this this I I'm coming to appreciate this a lot more with realizing that this is like a real look at post-war Japan with how like the economy was, you know, in the ground and, you know, they're, they're dealing with the U.S. occupation after the war and so forth. So it's, it's kind of desperate time. So it's kind of a reflection of what it was like. And so I'm not sure. Have you heard of Italian neorealism at all? Uh, I don't think so. It doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, that's that's a big film genre where yeah, same thing that happened after World War II. Like they wanted to get much more into like kind of the re- real humanistic suffering of what was going on and kind of capturing that on film. So you have uh, movies like Bicycle Thieves that capture that. So this is kind of Kurosawa's um, way of doing that in uh, what the Japanese landscape was, and it's kind of interesting seeing a um, crime story molded to that. What's that? So kind of like maybe like Ashes and Diamonds as well. Like sure. All the way yeah, back from the post perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe that was from Poland. Uh, yeah, that was from that was Pol- Pol- Polish. Okay. Um, definitely stood out to that. This is a real scratchy looking black and white movie, but you know you get past that pretty quick. And I mean, we we say it over and over. And uh, Kurosawa is a master at a at the visual. Uh, median of film and yeah this is a really really cool looking uh, black and white movie at times with some cool um camera stuff going on as we'll get into sorry i'm doing like seven things at one time um so yeah uh continue i'm i'm here and paying 100 percent attention okay so the basic gist of the story is this cop feels super guilty that he lost his gun. So I guess the context here is that guns are illegal in Japan. And so the only way uh, the, the, the criminals would get guns would be through the black market or stealing them. Um, so that's what I gather. 
from you know my brief look at Japanese gun laws, which I was kind of had heard of before. Um, we find out that the Yakuza has gotten a hold of it, and yeah, the whole film is basically enduring the pain of of what happens because of this lost gun and the pursuit to get it back. And um, but unfortunately, it's it's kind of stretched out quite a big, quite a bit. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, I, the complaining about the heat um, is definitely a big part of this movie. I mean, even like the the ladies, like skinnily dressed here and there, you know, you, you get close up to them with beaded up sweat all over their brows. So uh, it's definitely one of those movies where you can feel the heat. Yeah, and there's, there's like uh, when he catches the one girl, uh, I guess who was like the main or one of the the gun runners or whatever. There's just she's just sitting there like pulling her blouse, like you know to fan herself off. And I just was like, man, is this girl? I was like, this movie's rated like PG, and it's a Kurosawa movie. Is she about to like just take her shirt off? Like, because she just kept doing it over and over and over and over. And I was like, what? What is happening here? I was kind of like you with this first like hour of the film. Like my attention did wander quite a bit because so much of the story is through I think told through these slight visual cues that if you're not like pulled into the fact that we're really focusing on post-war Japan, you might, a lot of this will get lost on you. So context is paramount with this, I think. But um, yeah, you definitely see that uh, Kurosawa artsy style whenever we get what, like an eight minute montage of like him like being his desperation as he's scouring the black market there. Yeah, I mean, it was that, that where he was yeah, trying to, to find to look desperate to get the gun or like to get someone to offer him a gun or whatever. Yeah. That just, there's just lots of things where it just felt like everything was just a little bit too long. Like mm -hmm. I was just sitting there going, it's a movie. It, it's, it's a Japanese, you know, it's a movie about a gun being lost and being found. Like, I don't really feel like that should be two hours long, but mm -hmm. I guess, you know, if we were talking about it perspective of the time period and what people are going through then and like gun laws in japan like someone losing a gun in america as sad as it is to say is okay someone lost a gun in america like it's not that big a deal i mean it is a big deal but it's not that big a deal because there's 30 million more guns you know or whatever the number is like it's mm -hmm. a much different thing in in japan especially for it to also be a cop's gun mm -hmm. And it shows a different side with this being a fairly new cop and him having the guilt of like his mistake leading to deaths and he takes that really personally. Um, so it's it's kind of a neat way to see kind of a more small story have more of a larger, I guess, emotional or human impact because, I mean, the cost of a life is so great even though, um, you know, with our American movies we want to see, you know, big battles, lots of casualties and stuff, you know, to give us a big impact. But this... This movie tries to take that scale that way, way down to just, you know, one gun, a couple victims at a time. You know, that's a big fucking deal, too. Oh, yeah. One, one hundred percent. And I mean, I definitely think that, I mean, Kurosawa was the master at like everything that he did. And I think that he does make it feel like it's a big deal. What is happening that, you know, he, he captures the one girl, but the guy didn't return the gun. So now he's desperate because he doesn't have his ration card and he goes out and robs mm -hmm. or, you know, so, you know, it, it's that, well, cause and effect and why well, did this and, you know, it, 
that is portrayed very well is what I'm trying to, to say there. Gotcha. Uh, a scene that tickled me a little bit was there's a scene where they're, um, they're lining up the bullet in the chamber of the gun to see if it was the same gun that fired the bullet or whatever. And there's a similar scene in Great Mouse Detective. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if that got pulled from there. Who knows? Um, yeah, early on, there's like just these two scenes where he's like relentlessly pursuing these two women, which I kind of was like, it was hard to kind of focus exactly what was going on. Uh, I think we've mentioned that, you know, already. I think the real meat of the story comes in when we do get his partner and the partner um, offers some kind of veteran perspective on all this as like the investigation gets a little bit more focused. Um, they find out that um, I guess the suspect is really into baseball. So there's this huge like baseball game scene, which is fine, but a little drawn out. Um, they arrest that guy. Um, it's a cop movie. So of course there's a nightclub scene, uh, a 50s nightclub scene. You, I mean, it doesn't get any sexier than that, right? Oh, a nightclub scene? I mean, nightclub and cops, like, name a more iconic duo. I'll uh, I'll wait. Oh, that scene where the, the two guys are talking at the dinner table, I'm sure that, I mean, I think there were some, some interesting things throughout, but, you know, flicking back through, it's just like, jeez. Yeah, like you said, each scene seems like it, 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 may, it might hold on just a tad bit too long. And that's my way, my nice way of saying it. it's too long. Um, let's see. Oh, well, yeah. This, this I mean, is the yeah. part. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, this movie would benefit from being like 25 minutes shorter, I oh, think. Yeah. I think like an hour and a half runtime for this movie. And it's short and sweet and to the point. But again, you know, we're looking at it from 2022 perspective versus, and, and you know, we didn't live then. I mean, it's kind of some of the same stuff we talk about in Ashes and Diamonds. We just hadn't, I guess, done enough of the talking about it really to, to get there where it was, you know, we didn't experience this. We weren't living there. And so some of that, I think, is lost on mm -hmm. us. Plus, you know, that's, you know, Japanese versus American. But yes, I think from our, you know, like 30 minutes shorter and it's just a, it's just a smoother, smoother ride all along. I thought a, a scene that did, does kind of hit pretty hard is when they're talking to that, the, the husband of a victim and he's going on and on about like how his wife like, planted these tomatoes and now she's dead and now they're ripe and they show a smashed tomato on the ground and it really kind of focuses in on like the senseless violence and the uh, loss of innocence and stuff. So all that's pretty good with, uh, you know, Kurosawa tying this back into a more like, you know, is it really worth it? And, and at the end, um, I thought the scene of the cop with the girl and his mother, gosh, that that was super drawn out. And I was very confused about like what was going on there with like, I guess he was like probing her to get more information, but at the same time his partner was off at some bar and then all of a sudden he got shot and too much is shown off screen here. Yeah, so some of this stuff like, um, cause I was making sure that, you know, if I started like, okay, I'm starting to not pay, like, I'm starting to fade out kind of thing. It was like, I'm going to pause, I'm going to get up, and splash some water on my face. I was drinking, making sure I was drinking an energy drink, like, mm -hmm. and even, you know, kind of going back through something. It's like, man, what what is happening here? Because, you know, I, I, you know, we get to the end and he's chasing the guy. And I'm like, man, you can't kill the seven samurai. And he's like, you know, you're just mm -hmm. fucking about and. I was like, well, you already killed one of the other people. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? When did I miss the other cop getting shot? Like, I don't remember that. Like, 
the fuck? So yeah, you know, no, I'm with you there. Up. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Um, Spread just, it around. Uh, left. Um, yeah, for oh, sure. I was going to mention the fact. So with this mother and daughter situation, there's a scene where like she sews this this really nice dress. That I guess the Yakuza gave her. And she's feeling like, oh, you know, these guys are, they're criminals, but, you know, they get whatever they want. And, you know, why should I be stuck here in the middle between, like, the cops and the, and the criminals? I want something, too. And, I mean, that's, that, 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 that cuts pretty deep um, in terms of, yeah, this, this society where so many people were in need. And then, like, why wouldn't they turn to crime in order to, you know, get what they can out of life at this point? Because life's shit. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, and I think that's kind of the, the the whole thing. Like, you know, when you're poor and in poverty, like sometimes crime is the it feels like or is the only option. Mm -hmm. Just like high and low, I really enjoyed the end where you know uh, Kurosawa cranks up the artsiness. We have this good scene where he's he's chasing down this Yakuza member, which is very obvious that he's guilty because like the entire back of his like suit and pants and stuff it was it, i guess was that mud or blood I, I don't know it was mud because that's how we figured out who he was because the guy right. ran out into the mud the night before um, but yeah that whole chase scene was very well done there was a scene on a train it might have been right after that where you just see the just see the train going down the tracks mm -hmm. and like it just yeah it was super well shot i mean of course it is it's kurosawa like mm -hmm. he can shoot a movie dead for 30 years better than most people can alive so <laughs> um a lot of good tension in that scene is like they're like confronting each other in the tall grass and then you get the artsy moment where they're they're both on the ground and they're kind of gazing up and the beautiful nature's around them, kind of showing that you know there's more to life there's like beauty beyond like this 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 callous violence and so forth so always nice to see that tied in although i think high and low did a little bit more um had a little bit better execution in terms of overall pacing um i know you really love that movie yeah i mean i think that is one of my favorite kurosawa movies um and yeah and i think the pacing in that was a little bit better but i mean this this is still a pretty early kurosawa movie like this is the earliest later. one i've seen oh this is not the earliest one i have seen actually oh, yeah because you have still, that, um, that eclipse set i have the yeah i have that eclipse set which i still need to finish watching but yeah, um, cause I think I've seen, let's see, it's my 13th Kurosawa, and so I've seen uh, Sanshiro's Shigata and The Most Beautiful, and I, I think Sanshiro's Shigata, yeah, that's 1943, um, and then The Most Beautiful was 1944, so yeah, okay. um, those are a little bit before, before that. And then after that, his partners, you know, he's okay. And then the movie just kind of ends. Um, given this one three and a half, uh, appreciate the Japanese neorealism aspect channeled into a uh, police procedural. Um, we, I mean, we've already gone through it with the fact that, you know, how impactful this, this movie just makes uh, one gun getting lost and what, what the ramifications are. Um, we see an emphasis on the value of life mixed into the investigation, all good stuff. It's just that, yeah, that pacing, um, and subtle visual cues make it a little challenging, I think, for maybe an international audience on this one. So, um, 
Good movie. Definitely not the, 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 the worst Kurosawa. My le it's not my least favorite Kurosawa. It'd probably fall somewhere in the middle of the bottom. But um, definitely glad you uh, you put it up in the queue for me. Yeah, I've been. it had been on the list for a while. It was in the random list for season three. Um, so I was glad we finally got to get to it. Um, I gave it also three and a half. Also not my favorite Kurosawa. Um, and I think I got it. I just literally had it on the list. I think I'm, it's like ninth or 10th out of 13th or something. Um, so yeah, it's definitely kind of more towards the bottom, but I mean, even the worst Kurosawa movies, even, you know, the most beautiful and, um, which is like a propaganda movie, essentially, um, they're all with their, with their merit and are, you know, better than a lot of other movies in general. So can you recall what your least favorite Kurosawa is? I think it was, in fact, the most beautiful. Yes, okay. I've got the most beautiful, and I've got like Throne of Blood and Dedeskadin, and I really need to rewatch both of those. Throne of Blood, I remember I watched it on a day like it just wasn't a good day for me to be watching a movie, so mm -hmm. I need to rewatch that. And Dedeskadin, I guess at that point I was just expecting all samurai all the time or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just need to go back and um. And, and rewatch it to um, probably appreciate it a little bit more. So, with my favorite being Rain and my second favorite being High and Low. Okay. Okay, so this is my 14th Kurosawa. Let me figure out where I'm going to read it. Oh, I'm um, one behind still. <laughs> my favorite is Rain. My second favorite is Sam and mm -hmm. Samurai. And then it goes into Dursuo Ozawa. So that still stands. Ikiru after that. High and low. Hidden Fortress. That's the one I haven't seen. Ikiru? Is Ikiru. Oh, yeah. so good. Well, I haven't, well, I've also seen the two from that Eclipse that you haven't seen. So we've got a couple of different ones. And then it's Hidden Fortress. Stodiskaden. Dreams. Uh, where would I put the This Stray Dog falls somewhere here in this... Kagamusha, Throne of Blood kind of area. I think I'd put, probably put it under Throne of Blood over Yojimbo, Sanjiro, and Rashomon. Really? You did not like Yojimbo and Sanjiro? The, I just did not have a good taste coming out of those movies. I just thought they were... Just didn't fulfill me action-wise and were a little goofier than what I was expecting. And I was just that was just not my cup of tea. And then I, I probably should revisit Rashomon again. I watched Rashomon twice in like a day just to be like, did I miss something here? And I didn't think I did. So, but yep, that's my updated Kurosawa list. Cool, cool. Nice. All right, let's move into this other one, this other movie, because I think we might talk about it for a little bit. It's uh, Being John Malkovich. It was my pick from 1999, American fantasy comedy. Yeah, that's about right. Directed by Spike Jones, And don't forget, it was written by Charlie Kaufman, because I think he is the true madman behind the genius here. Well, you you can take that up with Wikipedia, because that is copy-pasted from Wikipedia, homie. Well, I know it was directed by Spike Jones, and it was written by Charlie Kaufman. That all lines up. I'm just saying that this... I just feel Kaufman is... is He's, he's, he's the wizard here um, behind the curtain. Uh, both making their film debut, the film stars John Cusack, Cameron Diaz, and Catherine uh, Kinner, 
with John Malkovich. What a fucking great cast as a satirical version oh of God, himself. Oh my God, the cast is nut. <laughs> Cusack plays a puppeteer who finds a portal that leads into John Malkovich's mind. What a premise. What the fuck is this movie about? Let's dive in. And let me pull up Skype because I lost your pretty face. Oh, don't lose my pretty face. So, Joey, this movie starts on a blue velvet uh, curtain. Coincidence? Well, one of those movies uh, that that you're talking about here, and that being the one we're actually talking about, is much better than that piece of shit movie you're trying to reference. (laughs) All right, fair enough. We've, We've been there. Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear your initial thoughts here. Um, don't dive too much into the plot. We'll get into it. But uh, what were you expecting? Did it meet? Did it exceed? What What can you say about this 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 bizarre, bizarre movie? Okay. okay, so I knew a little bit about the premise of this movie. I mean, this movie's, what, 23 years old now? Like, I mean, John Malkovich is a huge star. He's a very well-known. I knew that somehow someone could go inside John Malkovich and could like see through John Malkovich and all of that. And that was really about it. I didn't, I actually didn't know who was in it other than John Malkovich. Um, and I really didn't know anything else outside of that premise, um, which was a strange premise, but also kind of cool. I was not expecting this movie to be quite as quirky, especially with like the puppeteer or like, puppeteering and all that. But it just, it worked itself out. Also, freaking Catherine Keener, like, uh-huh. bruh, bruh. Like, I mean, the first thing I remember seeing her in was like 40 Year Old Virgin, which she was a smoke show in that too. But in this, it's like, dude, she's like, oh, yeah. you know, business suit, bitchy, like, you know, sort of the nice girl. She's just like this straight up, like, bitchy sex pot. And I was like, dude, I'm here for it. <laughs> All right, so Charlie Kaufman. I think adaptation was my first like. I still consider John Malkovich and um, adaptation Charlie Kaufman movies, even though that they were written by him and directed by Spike <clears throat> before he went off and did um, Eternal Sunshine with that other guy. Uh, but yeah, I he's probably one of my fa- favorite crazy out there modern art house filmmakers. He directs his own movies now. We've talked about a few on the podcast. Um, I think I saw Adaptation first, and man, I was just blown away by these two movies. I think I saw them either in late high school, early college, but these were definitely gateway films for me, getting into really weird artsy stuff, and um, it's 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 awesome that I, this is the third time I've seen this movie, I think, um, and even now I saw it indifferently um, than how I'd seen it before, way more absurdist, uh, just in <laughs> basically every element. Like, I remember... When I recalled it, I'm just like, yeah, the seven and a half floor parts, you know, weird. And I go into John Malkovich. I mean, all that's weird, but it, it's grounded in reality. No, it's 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 totally absurdist in pretty much every way. Um, but um, and it, and yeah, I definitely was like floor seven and a half. I was like, what the hell is this? And then they're like bent over. And so, you know, like, all right, are we in, like, some sort of, like, wicked fucking fever dream or something? Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, the movie is, like, the literal definition of absurd. 
got this eccentric couple who lives in this tiny apartment with all these wild animals, including parrots and monkeys and stuff. And you got Cameron Diaz, totally counter-casted, but brilliantly so, as she's like this repressed, um, you know, housewife stuck with this nutty puppeteer guy dealing with these these animals. And then she ends up, oh, we'll get there. But um, what a it's like she's... It's like, well, you say housewives, but it's like she's supporting him because he's like basically a struggling actor, but it's a puppeteer. And mm -hmm. so some other person has like made it big and is like the premier puppeteer. And I guess the only way like I could think is, is like, like, do you know who Chris, Chris Angel is? Or that David Blaine? David Blair? Mm -hmm. Yeah, magicians. Yeah, like the big, the big time. Yeah. Well, they're like the only two. So, you know, that I know of. And it's, I, I guess it's like, well, if you're not one of those guys and you're a, like a magician or an illusionist or whatever, well, you just kind of fucking suck if you're not one of those guys. And that's kind of how it felt like whoever that amazing puppeteer guy was. And then here's, you know, John Cusack trying to mm -hmm. be that, but, you know, couldn't be that essentially. And it's that kind of struggling actor thing because, you know, she's like, hey, you need to go get a job until this pans out and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And the puppets so look just like the people they're supposed to look like, so creepy as they um, they go into these like interpretive dance moments that he gets lost in, and and then it zooms out to show that he's just this this sad bastard doing his own little puppet show, fantasizing about these people that he makes puppets about and dances with in his little puppet world. So that's that part. Um, yeah, maybe it's not a good idea to do a scene of. Um, religiously sexually oppressed monk and nun, like basically wanting to hump each other through the wall, and a little girl walks up and the, her father decks him. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, he was like, You son of a bitch. And it's like, You just, and, and, and then Cameron Diaz is like, Oh no, not again, honey. So it's not like he just keeps doing it. Mm. And it's like, Yeah, he's, he's totally lost that. in this. Yeah, like on the street corner. So yeah, and he, ins and he insists he has to be a puppeteer. He can't do anything else, even though he's in the he's an excellent filing clerk, as he 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 so clearly proves. Not that his test was all that hard. <laughs> then we then we meet the secretary at the uh, what uh, floor seven and a half at Lester Corp. And how do you even describe her? She she doesn't understand anything anybody says, and she apparently manipulates Lester, or I don't know what's going on there. There's so many strange quirks thing that you start to let it go because it's in this this complete absurdist reality yeah um that whole like the whole thing there where the, the the boss guy thinks he has a fucking lisp or whatever because she told him the that whole thing is absolutely nuts and the guy who's the he's the boss and he's also really important later on that's lester right I can't place him. I know his face hmm. and I've seen him in something from like the nineties or two thousands and I can not place him. Um, so if I can do that, uh, let me see here. Oh, well, it was Orson in the, maybe it was a TV show. Cause none of these, the only other movie I've seen him in was The Equalizer 2 in Inner Space. It was in Dr. Quinn. But I, 
Dr. Quinn Medicine, I did watch a lot of that with my grandmother back in the day. So hmm. that would that might be it then. Or like a commercial or something. All right. So um now that I've been working for the government for an extended period of time, I, I'm more familiar with this term overhead, so enjoyed that joke a little bit more since yeah, we have low overhead. Literally. <laughs> um, <laughs> I see what they did there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the intro video of the seven and a half floor about like being true, uh, being, uh, you know, giving little people justice and having uh, a place where they feel at home. <laughs> and then they say it's just bullshit. Um, let's see, the boss of the company, Lester, going on and on about all his inappropriate topics from what his uh, pee turning orange for all the carrot juice and his sexual, uh, se sexual escapades. <laughs> And yeah, and John Cusack's like, you know, we probably shouldn't do this here. <laughs> and he's like, all right, I'm like, we're going to meet at this place. I'm going to tell you all about it after work. And so he gets stuck there trying to, to he's supposed to go meet Catherine Keener. Because he finally gets her to agree to go out on a date with him or go out for a drink with him. And she instantly uh, shoots him down after a uh, puppeteer comes out of his mouth. The oh, yeah, date. she's like negative. Negative <laughs> Ghost Rider. Yep. Love the idea of this movie, like, just suddenly inserting us into Malkovich as an actor. Like, it it has this kind of meta quality to it. I mean, when Charlie Sheen shows up as his friend. So it has this whole, like, hey, this, you know, this is the actor John Malkovich. And all of a sudden he's, like, inserted into this bizarre phenomena. So that's all. Very, very fun twist to it with him being the outsider to his own story. <laughs> Fucking with his brain. Um, then it dumps you. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the phenomena dumping you right there on the Jersey tur Turnpike. Pretty shitty place to end up. <laughs> um, so do they ever really explain like, why it's the Jersey Turnpike? Or is that supposed to be, other than it's, it's Jersey and Jersey's like the asshole in New York or whatever. Like, is there supposed to be something That was my takeaway. Else there? Just a really, very okay. inconvenient place. I don't, I don't imagine if, unless you have a car waiting there, I don't, I don't imagine no one wants to be stuck right there. Uh, yeah. They spend a lot of time, uh, you one, you know, you've only got what, 15 minutes inside. So like, if you're, if you're the person trying to pick him up, you know, like, like he, John Cusack would be like the first time he put Cameron D in there. He was he able to, would he been able to get there for in 15 minutes with a car to get her? Like that seems. No way. <laughs> No way, yeah, from the, wherever they were in New York to outside the city, I doubt it. Um, Craig's such a fascinating character from being so shaky uh, with what ends up happening with him. Um, I mean, he has these puppet fantasies. He, he doesn't think it's a good idea to profit from this tunnel at first, but, you know, he gets manipulated into it um, through Maxine and then gets caught up in the sex and power, you know, it offers him. So he's a really interesting character who gets plays and gets played, which is I think you know one of the, the core themes of this show. <clears throat> Such a, okay, yeah, I mentioned Cameron Diaz as Lottie being great counter um, casting there, and as she okay, so she finds out about the phenomena of being able to go into Malkovich's mind, so she wants to experience it for herself, and she has this whole like 
transsexual episode, I guess you'd call it. Oh, yeah, because she comes out and... Because I guess when she went in, he was, like, taking a shower. And, you know, I guess he was... He was like, I don't guess he was full-on masturbating, but he was, like, playing with himself a little bit or just washing or whatever. And she was like, uh-huh. ooh, this feels really good. And yeah. um, so then she comes out talking about she wants to be a transsexual. And, I mean, keep in mind, this is, like, 1999. So this is a much different time period than now where, you know, talking about someone transitioning, um, it was not a common, like, common thing. Like, you know, I watched it. I was like, oh, okay, cool, you know, whatever. And I was like, you know what? That was like 20-something years ago. That probably had to be, like, like a big fucking deal back then. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, I really enjoy, like, so lot, so... Lottie and Craig get invited to Lester's house for dinner, and then she just kind of goes exploring upstairs and finds this room dedicated to Malkovich. So early on, like it foreshadows, you know, that Lester has something to do with Malkovich. And um, what was the thought I had? And then they like fucking slow roll that, like they mm-hmm. don't really circle back to that until much later. And I was just like, are we never gonna talk about this? And then we do. And so I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And then, at first, I thought it was a plot hole because I'm a, I'm a little. Sh- I, I clearly understand the fact. Okay, so they have this window where they have to be in Malkovich's head by this certain time, or otherwise they're going to end up in his offspring. But like, they mention like going in into his head gives them like another life. So like, I envisioned at first that like they go into his head and then they end up in their own physical forms. But no, I think they're all just in his head. And it would have been nice to have, like, at least one moment where you had that commotion inside of his head, I think. Well, yeah, because I took it at first as that they were, like, each one of those people had jumped into those bodies that you were seeing, but then they were all going to be just in John Malkovich. And, yeah, if you didn't do it by his midnight on his 44th birthday, 44th birthday, they would trap in his offspring, and then they just kind of get... They said they get overtaken or assimilated into the offspring's consciousness, I guess, because it's, uh-huh. um, you know, I guess it's still growing or it's too strong or whatever. So by the, so how do you feel about Craig at, by the end? Are you, you feel sorry for him? Do you, uh, do you feel that's, he um, got what he deserved? That's John Cusack. It is. Um, I'm a little, t- I myself t- is torn. So, Okay, so he clearly is not the best person. I mean, he fucking locks his wife in a cage with an mm-hmm. ape because he's jealous that she is getting to, through John Malkovich as a proxy, sleep with the woman that he wants to sleep with that's mm-hmm. not her. Um, so that's, okay, also, that's I never thought that that would be a sentence I would ever fucking say. Um... <laughs> Um, and then, you know, he fucking takes over and just starts controlling John Malkovich and, you know, at the behest of Maxine, just does it for, what, a year, the nine months or something? Eight, nine months? Yeah, quite a while. He has a whole um, and, career where he's and, a struggling know, puppeteer all the way to the, the top of the profession. And I love how he, he goes and talks to his manager and he's like, oh, yeah, I want to become a puppeteer now. And he's just like, okay, yeah, we can make that happen course in this absurd reality that would be his answer um i don't know i'm torn so like i feel 
it's established that Craig has some morality to him. He doesn't feel good about it, but he's also, you know, very manipulated by Maxine. And so the power really um, gets to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the fact that you know, she wants him, but only if he stays as Malkovich. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then they have the money and the power that comes with being John Malkovich. And then, you know, yeah, he, 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 part of you is like, well, you know, part of me is like, well, man, you know, she, you know, she doesn't want me for me. Well, and fuck that, whatever. But then also he gets the ability to, he has now the weight and the pull of being John Malkovich to make his actual dreams of being a puppeteer come true. But then you've erased John Malkovich. Like, where is he? Where's his personality and all of that during that time period? Like, it's just this whole, you know, you're snuffing out one person and one person's reality to fulfill yourself. But I mean, he, he clearly does love in the way, in, in some form or way, Maxine, because when they, you know, kidnap her and say they're going to kill her and the baby, you know, well, at first he, he, I guess he, he, he's just like, oh, you're full of shit or whatever. But eventually he kind of breaks down and he's like, no, no, you know, I have to, you know, we love each other. She'll be with me. And then, you know, you see that they, um, Maxine and Dottie end up together and just kind of leave him on the side of the fucking road. Um, yeah. And I mean, Craig, he, and, and rightfully so, cause he's so wrapped up in his whole puppeteering thing that he probably is not paying her a bit of attention. So she's getting lonely and, you know, then the Lottie thing gets cut back up in it. But, um. Oh, and then the fact that, you know, she got pregnant while it was Lottie inside of Malkovich. So, you know, Malkovich's the father, but Lottie and Maxine are the parents. And then he he tries to go back into Malkovich, but he doesn't know about everything else. So he ends up in the kid. You know, I would have gladly accepted um, this movie being in 30 extra minutes with us, like, just diverting to what it was like to be one of these people who were just forking out $200 to be Malkovich because that's happening, but it's all pushed to the side and it's fascinating, but you know, we're, we're caught up in this whole like little love triangle. That's so quirkily fascinating. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, we don't even really mention like not only are they doing this now, they're exploiting it at $200 a pop. Hey, you get to be John Malkovich for 15 minutes. Like, so you know, none of them have like the tr control that uh, that um, John Craig Cusack develops. ends up with, but it's mm -hmm. yeah, but it's like this is really exploitative. I mean, those also all, uh, you'll hear from my lawyer, you know, like I'll see you in court. Gonna, like, how are you <laughs> going to explain that to that. a lawyer? Right? Like how? But I mean, let's talk about the scene where John Malkovich goes in John Malkovich. Yes. Uh, I, I, I mean, it starts off, he's in like, I love New York hat or something. And he's just like, what is this bizarreness of this, this line all the way down. And then all of a sudden Cusack sees him. He's like, holy shit, it's, it's you. Yeah. Yeah. Go in. It's like, <laughs> and it's John Cusack. Yeah. And it's John Cusack. He goes in and it's John Cusack on a date with a John Cusack with a humongous set of knockers. Oh, um, Malkovich, not John Cusack. Oh yeah. John Malkovich. He goes into a cell, uh, cell. A self-obsession state, uh, a total narcissistic, uh, surrealist nightmare. And, and like the, and like the restaurants called Malkovich. Every person's Malkovich. Malkovich? Everything Malkovich. in the menu is Malkovich. Yeah, Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. <laughs> and he just like freaks out, and then he ends up on the Jersey Turnpike. Like, um, <laughs> great stuff. So, 
Yeah, this movie, like, I remember I was like 15, 20 minutes in and I was texting a friend of mine and I was like, this movie's fucking weird as shit. And the movie is weird as shit. Like, it doesn't get on weird, but it is so very good. And I guess when I realized it was Spike Jones and the only other movie of his that, and I did confirm, is the only other movie of his I've seen was her. Mm-hmm. I fucking love her. That, that her, I think, was a fantastic movie. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to watch it again. Like, I do want to watch it again because it was so good, but I don't want to watch it again because I don't want my heart ripped out and stepped on uh. into a million tiny little pieces. <laughs> but, I mean, that movie is fucking weird, too, like, to be fair. So it's just kind of what he does. I guess he does these weird, quirky movies. Um, but, yeah, no, this movie's fucking Coffin weird, too. but it is really good. So How about the digression where all of a sudden we see into the, the monkey's memory where or the ape or whatever and then he's like thinking of oh you know i got taken in the jungle and so now i gotta untie cameron diaz or lottie so little digressions like that um, are great and, and also you know like cameron diaz like our whole life has always been presented as like a bombshell smoke uh, show kind of actress yeah you, even though like to me she's never been my favorite like obviously she's a very attractive woman okay. and in this movie they've got her like dressed down really Really old, uh, diminutively hair. maybe Friz- yeah the frazzled hair, um, you know the type yeah so it's, yeah she's just definitely like against cast and then so then like I said you have Catherine Keener who's like the only thing I knew her for you know obviously was after the sporty old virgin and she wasn't made to play like a down like not pretty character but she's she's just supposed to be like a milf kind of character like an older lady that's attractive mm-hmm. and in this she is like the fucking i am the hot shit everybody wants to fuck me girl so it's <laughs> and usually that's cameron diaz you know because she's because cameron diaz i yeah, mean this is burning her heads 30 years later she's smoking you know like mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's cool to see how the puppeteering here goes to the next level as uh you know craig like figures out how to control malkovich and yeah he has this whole like new career as like a, he struggles and then he, he gains notoriety to the point where he's like has his like man-sized marionette puppet thing that he's controlling with multiple wires that he's like biting cords and stuff as like dancers around it's very very crazy stuff um as he's getting all wound up in that but again once again he's manipulated because lester gives him a call and says he's going to kill lottie if he doesn't get out of malkovich and he, he bites it and that's his his big downfall. Oh, so speaking of Lester, I know that they, he he talked about building and and that they keep jumping from like host to host. But are they like aliens or something? Like, did they explain how they were able to do that or why they did that? Other than you know, obviously living eternally. But like, were they supposed to be aliens or some some shit like that, or is it just kind of ambiguous? ambiguous i think yeah i think it's just this 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 business owner who found this phenomena and i just it's it just built on absurdity after absurdity after absurdity that you just kind of lose track and go with it it's it's one of those things i think fair just like i said earlier it's like does it make sense for like 30 people to be inside malkovich's brain and that function cohesively probably not but, you know, he's there at the end and he shows them the picture of, you know, who the next vessel is as Charlie Sheen apparently joins the party. Yeah. And then Charlie Sheen, when he's young, Charlie Sheen 
is just uh he's just charlie sheen he's just himself he's like i'm sleeping with whoever or whatever and it's like yeah charlie sheen just being charlie sheen and then you know they aged him and had him kind of bald with the comb over and i'm like oh god that's terrible looking so yeah he does still have some morality by the fact that he does want to protect his wife but um yeah that's not going to go too far for him so yeah that yeah they're manipulating him to get out um now the scene where Lottie chases Maxine through the subconscious. The first two times I saw that that scene, totally fucking blew my mind. Like one of the coolest artsy things I'd ever like, because it's so intense and so weird and so. I, I didn't quite have the same reaction this time because I knew it was coming. But um, how was your first time through that ride? Oh, were there um. We're like following yeah, through like different fighting. episodes through Malkovich's like past and memory. That was fucking trippy. Like, um, just really was not prepared for that to be to be honest. Um, but it was very well done. Um, like I can see why you know, it, I can see why like it was because it was nominated for several awards, right? I actually like, I could definitely. I think I think I remember seeing that it was, and I was like, I could see why. Like this was, it, and it art, also art wasn't design this, and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very yeah, it wasn't Jones's first movie, like too. Yeah, yeah, it was both Kaufman and Jones's debut. Um, I know they had a lot of backing, obviously, to get this cast, and but by yeah, that by the end, like Craig, it's fascinating because I feel sorry for him, but he also definitely gets what he deserves, being stuck in that. Um, position he is now being behind the lens of a little girl and watching his wife his ex-wife and um crush have their perfect life with him in prison in the background it's uh pretty gnarly dark stuff but, but at the same time kind of funny but also because you know he talks about the first time after he comes out of malkovich like what does it mean you know do you lose part of yourself and finding mm -hmm. one's true self and all of that and now he's just faded into the background of someone else's existence. Yeah. From being in that front seat. Front seat to back seat. So, yeah, I adore the crazy art style of this the, and the humor of this movie. Dips into such uh, interesting themes of, like, being and consciousness and control and manipulation. I love thinking about all that kind of stuff. And it's just funny how this does it in such a quirky, fun this batshit crazy way. I mean, it definitely deserves that uh, that trope or that uh, that cliche description. So easy five stars for me. Love it. I gave it four um, because I like I said it was kind of weird throughout, especially at the beginning. But then you get that vibe and it settles in. I definitely feel like you know if someone was like, hey, I want to watch this or I want to watch it again, and I rewatched it, I could see myself giving it a little bit higher. Um, nap because i could probably look for some things that i wasn't paying attention to because i was just like you know this is fucking weird so but definitely definitely really good uh, i definitely think when i ranked it it's in like my top 15 movies for the year or something so the first criterion i ever bought was fear and loathing in las vegas on dvd because i wanted that co a copy of that movie and i found it at borders and i didn't know what criterion was my first criterion purchase uh, purchase where i knew what the collection was was being John Malkovich. I bought that and Killing. So this was my first pick 
from the collection. So the killing, but you don't even like that movie. But it was Kubrick, and I was young and dumb. So there you go. I mean, you can just. I send didn't even it know the me. killing was on Blu-ray at that point. That. I just picked up the DVD, thinking, "Ah, eh, it's a black and white Criterion. It's probably the only DVD." Nope, there's there's a Blu-ray out there somewhere. Anywho, I know we'll probably take a, a bit. Of this this next episode will probably come in November because we're about to start our Halloween movie Halloween. season. Yeah, and the plan was to have started Halloween already. But, um, yeah, so I think the next episode will be the Halloween special, probably in about a month. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so, and our future movie for that is going to be Christine, correct? Sounds good. I forgot All that, right, so but yes, now I so remember. Yes, yeah, so, uh, the Halloween movie will be Christine, plus all the other, yeah, John Carpenter, Stephen King combo, so, um, should Maybe be a Carnage 2 will come out, and I'll, I'll get to put that on my list. Oh boy. Um but all of our other Halloween movies, all of our spoopy season movies, um we'll do our normal countdown and we'll talk about Christine. I'm looking pretty uh I'm looking forward to that. I have not seen that one before, so I, I am pretty stoked. Um do we okay. want to go ahead and talk about what's going to come after Halloween? Yeah, so sometime in November we'll uh do another show. And what's your pick for it? All right. Well, let's think, you know how I do. Bum, so let's bum, think back bum, to what the quote was bum, at the beginning. Bum, bum, bum. Who specifically oh, said that? Okay. okay. So we're kinda... doing rewatch. Mm -hmm. We're doing this is my rewatch pick. And on the last episode, I, I did say that I was going to pick Batman forever. And I was at when I originally was going to pick like all the Batmans and run through the Batmans. But since I kind of opened my mouth and gave it away, I figured I would change it up a little bit. Um, this is one of my favorite movies, and it is definitely a movie that uh, I feel like we can get into a lot of meaty conversation about and a lot mm, of deep, heavy. Uh, heavy stuff. Yeah, you already know. So um, that is, if you, if you haven't figured it out from listening to this, so that was Edward Furlong in that opening quote. And uh, mm -hmm. the other big movie that I think most people know him from is with Ed Norton, and that's American History X. Um, so just be warned when you come to that episode in November, it will be probably full of, I mean, obviously my graphic language, but it's going to be a lot of graphic content and um, racially driven violence and that kind of stuff but it is such a good movie it's so well made and i think it's a very important movie yep that'll be a so, good one to revisit i it's been a while but uh definitely remember that i mean how could it not have an emotional impact on you it's such a heavy movie and i, I, I i'm not bringing anything light of the party either so well, i had no, mentioned so we've that just, we've just brought all the heaviness <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that I'm trying to get through all the uh, best pictures that I've seen, but not in like the Letterboxd era. So, so I have a review on every single best picture out there. And I scanned through my list. So let's get a little context here. Let me uh, okay. give you a little context. How many movies do I have on this list? You don't know what it is yet, do you? I do not. I, I don't look. Even right now, while I want to look, because you're about to tell it, I'm, I'm not looking. What's this blonde movie everybody's talking about on Letterboxd? All right, what so, movie? 
All right, so my best picture winners I need to rewatch. The list is up to 16. Includes Birdman, The French Connection, Moonlight, The Sting, Patton, The Lost Weekend, Million Dollar Baby, Rain Man, Slumdog Millionaire, A Beautiful Mind, Gandhi, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, Chariots of Fire, Driving Miss Davy, Ordinary People, but I thought I'd do you a solid and check out Clint Eastwood's alleged masterpiece, Unforgiven. Boy, howdy. I have not seen that in a hot-ass minute. I am super stoked to watch that. I thought when you were talking about something that was heavy and you you mentioned Million Dollar Baby, and I was like, boy, I just saw that for the first time like a year or two ago. Well, I guess it was two years ago. This was before I lived in this apartment. I was like, but I will watch that again. That movie was great, but I haven't seen Unforgiven also, probably since I was too young. Yeah, it is. Also, probably uh, since I was too young to probably have been watching it, so it's going to be good to revisit that as an adult. That is going to be that's going to be that's two very good movies, to um, two Harry very Potter. heavy movies. So that's oh yeah, that's uh, I mean I don't think we could. I mean, I mean both of them are going to deal with racism, so that's um, just in different time periods and. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we made a themed episode not trying to make a themed episode. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy shit. All right. If you'd like to um, us to answer any questions on the next show, make sure to email us or contact us. And how do they do that, Joey? So you can email us at the average shows movie clubcast at gmail.com. We will um, do our best to not let it go a couple of months before we answer it. I'm going to be real. Like, we were probably just kind of surprised. Um, yeah, we only had a couple, handful a of emails, so sometimes they're hard to spot. We would, but, like, um, we, would, we would like more, so please, 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 please send us in stuff. Or if you don't want to send an email, I mean, you can go on either of our letterbox pages and comment. Justin is probably a little bit more active on there than I am, but he also has like 10 times plus the followers that I do. Um, you can also hit us on our Facebook page um twitter like we're 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 pretty contactable so um or you know below underneath in the comments here on youtube i mean there's there are ways just reach out we'd love to hear from you um and you know your thoughts on our thoughts or your thoughts in general and you know just have a good time talking about movies rock on so joey why do we do this show because we love talking about movies. Thanks, QT, for that quote. Good night, everybody. We did it. Just might be my mate.